1: Welcome everybody to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, it's the monthly interview show where I very much enjoy sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry, and I am so pleased to be joined by uh, someone who I've, I haven't seen in a couple of years, no, Peter no. Molyneux, legendary game designer, right. your resume, which we're going to get well into, right. Is yes. uh, or CV, yeah. I suppose yeah. I should say.
0: I, I, I've just got one thing to say on that. I think the dictionary definition of the word legendary means that the person has to be dead. Okay. uh, So, I mean, renowned? renowned? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I could be on life support here or something, but renowned would would do it. All right. Well,
1: uh, Peter Molyneux, you know him from (coughs) games like Populous, Theme Park, Dungeon Keeper, Black and White, the Fable series, uh, on forward to to what you're doing now at Mm. 22 Cans. And so, uh, if you look at those games, Peter, here's where I want to start with you. There's a, there's a common theme to a lot of those games, and that's they're, many of them are God games, and that's really yes. how you made your name. Yes. What, what is it about you psychologically that you think uh, has, yeah. has drawn you yeah. to making games for yeah. you? You're, yeah. you're God.
0: Well, I, 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 what, the actual honest answer is that I love... Well, I, I'll actually tell you the real answer. Please. And the real answer is that when I was a kid... I don't think I've ever told this story. I read this short story, and i can't I think it was by Ray Bradbury, and it was this short story of this family that had this little um little house with these little characters in them and they cared for these little characters and in the end, the little characters turned on the family and killed them horribly. you know it's like a nineteen it's like nineteen fifty sci fi story they right. never end well yeah and I have always remembered the feeling of what it would have been like to have this little world that you controlled Mm. and allowing you to be kind of kind and cruel, allowing you to be nurturing and nice as well as nasty and and horrible. I find that a fascinating thing. For me, it's, it's having control over something and allowing people to kind of... Experiment with with people. I guess it says to me that I'm a controlling personality. <laughs> I
1: was. Gonna, are, are you a con, do you, are you a control freak in your in your real life in your day to day life? Yeah,
0: I, uh, I, I think we'd we'd have to ask the team about that. And <laughs> and um, I think probably they would say absolutely, he's a control freak. Yes. Well, uh,
1: were you big into video games as a kid, or did that part of it come along later for you?
0: Well, um, uh, if video games have been around. I would have been absolutely... Well, certainly,
1: you're not, you're not that old. No,
0: I am. <laughs> I am. I can remember absolutely, cle- t- absolutely clearly, I, I, can, I can remember the, what the, the weather was like the day I first saw a Pong machine. Hmm. And it was in our local electronics store, and I walked past it, and I literally, my jaw fell. And I, th- I thought, I've got to have one of those. And so I went back home, and I must, have been, I must have been about 16, 17 at the time. I went back home. I didn't have any money at all. My grandmother was staying. I went and stole the money from my grandmother's purse. <laughs> I came back. I bought this Pong machine. I got home, closed my bedroom door, started playing with myself on the Pong machine. Yeah. And uh, I thought, my first thought was, this is incredibly boring. So I took the machine apart <laughs> and never worked again. That was my first exposure to to computer games. Interesting. So and it, were... changed my, it entirely changed my life.
1: So l- it was love at first sight until Absolutely. you actually played the game. Until
0: I played it. And straight away I thought, there's got to be more. You know, there's got to be... And you know, Pong. It's just the That's it going on. Yeah. There's just got to be more. And so that was my first... Real exposure to 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 a, a, a game that you could own. Of course, there were arcade games, but not a, a game. And then after that, there was a whole series of home computers and, and stuff.
1: So, like. if if you were a teenager at this point, does yeah. does that you mentioned that that everything changed at that point? Yeah. Did did you suddenly think I want to be a game designer and do this better than Pong?
0: Well, I mean, the other thing was that um, what, what what it it absolutely did to me is that. I, it is such an interesting story and it would take so long to say and tell. But up to that point, literally up to that point, I was pretty rubbish at everything I had done in my life. I was huh. I was the worst student at school. I, I was the bottom of every single... Table so what capacity.
1: what were you interested then in if, if not uh, nothing, schoolwork. Nothing. Nothing
0: nothing. And then I it, it was, a, it, a was ne-
1: it was it was it was, I was virtually <laughs> a hooligan.
0: I was it was a moment I saw and my my analogy is I saw that that Pong machine and it changed everything in me. And because I saw it, I decided, right, I need to learn about computers. I need to be able to to learn to program, yeah. so I then applied myself, and I then went and got the qualifications. I go to university, and then I went to university. I did computer science, and all because I'd seen that one uh, one machine. Yeah. So,
1: did your grandmother forgive you in time? She, she never knew. N- never knew. <laughs> she never knew. Never knew. To this day. What did your parents? I mean, if you're, were your parents? Uh, Compassionate or strict? Were they, you know, if you're if you're a poor student, Mm. are they frustrated with you? And then do they do they recognize this this pong and these computers as sort of as this catalyzing force for you, or do they do they Mm. brush it off as oh no, that's just a distraction, Peter. You shouldn't spend your time with that.
0: I think. I mean, if you ask my mother now, she would say I was always proud of you, and you know, I knew you were going to do great things. But I, they really wanted me to be an accountant. They absolutely wanted me to be an accountant. My mother...
1: Was that the family business? That, it
0: wasn't the family business. I don't know why they wanted me to be an accountant. I mean, I was probably the, the worst personality of an accountant. I can remember that, that they um, interviewed me. There was an interview for a school uh, which specialized in uh, accountants, you know, training young accountants. Mm-hmm. Um, unusually, my mother came along to the interview. Normally, that mothers aren't supposed to come along to the interview, and I'm kind of sitting there, and um, you know, I was a very shy child, and um, my mother said, "Yes, I know Peter's going to be um, good at um, going to be a great accountant because he always wins at Monopoly." But <laughs> well, I do. I never got offered a place in that in that accounting well, Thank God I didn't. But oh, uh, but but no. Up until the point I saw that machine, I was just rubbish at absolutely everything. Uh,
1: well, what what did you want to be? I mean, I know if you said you sort of weren't interested in anything, what was the mm-hmm. what was the original vision for what you wanted to be when you grew up?
0: Yeah, if there had been computer games about, I would have wanted to be involved in that. Yeah. And when I saw it, and then I wanted to be involved. In it. Up until that point. I wanted to run my own business, absolutely. And I don't know why I imagined that. I, I my first business I had my first business was when I was um, twelve years old, where I rented out my sister and her friends to clean, to do other people's gardening. And I used to, you know, these eight-year-old girls used to go off and do other people's gardens. or I used to collect the money. I mean, slightly immoral, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> But it was much more innocent days then. Yes. And then my next business was uh, when I was at school, because I went to boarding school. I worked out, realized that you, if you lent, lent money to unpopular children, then you got the money back. So I used to lend money at exorbitant yeah. interest rates. So I always had these oh, little man, business... Little schemes. Yeah, little schemes. You're a schemer. Yeah. <laughs> I was a schemer. Not, you know, not, not a nice child. Not so, what, you wouldn't want to invite me home to... You know, you wouldn't want to be... Go. I wasn't I
1: invited to many play
0: dates, let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> so is it a coincidence then that that, uh, you're, after your, your mother tries to do everything in her power to mm. get you into finance yeah. and accounting, that your first game when you finally took a shot at it, yeah. it was called The Entrepreneur, yeah. and it was a, yeah. a, a, business, a business sim, simulator, effectively, yeah. yes.
0: It was a business simulator on um, a um, home computer called the BBC Micro. And I don't know if the BBC Micro ever was released over here. It doesn't ring a bell for no, me. It, but. it, it was kind of like a Commodore 64 mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. And um, I had this tiny little business called Vulcan Computing. And Vulcan Computing, it... A Star Trek it, reference, or it, it, no? It was it was Vulcan, the god of ah, war. Okay. I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was just the, you know. I was in this tiny little um, this this office made of cardboard boxes. The whole office made of cardboard boxes, <laughs> and um, in the corner of this warehouse, and the the business. What the business did? My business idea was to sell floppy disks. These are these are 5 and yeah, a quarter the, inch yep. floppy disks to schools. And um, my USP for doing that is that the floppy disks would have free software on it. And uh, some of that free software was what I realized that people actually just wanted the software. They didn't want the, the disks. Anyway, as part of, do, of the business, what I also decided to do was well, I'm going to make a game. And in those days, Ryan, all you had—literally, all you had to do—is move a, a few coloured pixels across the screen and allow the player to shoot it, and you'd have a success.
1: It was—it <laughs> was so easy to—and you could to, do it by yourself. You didn't you could, need a
0: team. Oh, absolutely. You didn't need yeah. a team. You—you you could do it by yourself. So, what did I decide to do? I decided to—it was effectively a business game, God game. Yeah. Really, it was. And I was so convinced this game was going to be a success. There was no publishers in those days. I published it myself, took an advert out in, in, a, in a magazine, and I phoned up a local post office. And I said, look, I'm just releasing this game. It's going to be a mega hit. You might want to put on more postmen. <laughs> um, I had a post box in the confident. front. Uh, very confident, yeah. I had a post box in the front of the office, and, and I thought, and, you know, I went to there. God, it's just not big enough. I'm just not going to get that. So, in those days, you had to write in with a check. There wasn't any PayPal or anything like right. that. You wrote in with the check in an envelope. And, and I thought, this, this, this post, I cut this massive hole in the bottom of the door <laughs> so that the post could, could yes. come in. Anyway, cut a long story short, Nobody. I, no one bought it. Two copies were sold, both of which I suspect my mother bought. And, um, you know, that could have been the end of my career in the computer games industry.
1: Well, that's... So, yeah, because after that, uh, if I mm. have my history correct, yeah. you started a, a business called Taurus Impact mm-hmm. Limited, mm-hmm. which, uh, please explain this to me, a company that exported baked beans yeah. to the Middle East. To the East, Middle East, yeah. With a business partner named Les Edgar. Yeah. What?
0: What? <laughs> Right. let <laughs> <Just> explain <laughs> you, this. You, you, uh, yeah. I, the whole story was, and I'll try and make it as short as possible, I had this girl I really fancied, really called Camille, her name was Camille de Cock, and I, I, God, I, you know, I wasn't a good-looking bloke, and she had a her father, her father, kind of took a shine to me, and he said, I don't know what you're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the contacts, so you can start up an import-export business. Yeah, and he he gave us two contacts. One was this company, <laughs> which is crazy, really. Company in Switzerland that needed us to get money systems for them. This sounds very strange. You know, in slot machines, the 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 oh, mechanism yeah. that okay. we had we shipped them out to them, and they ordered about. Two of those a month, and we made about ten bucks on each one. <laughs> and the other one was this um, company in um, in the Middle East, which acts as a distributor for baked beans. Sadly, baked beans aren't that popular in the Middle East. Can't understand why. Maybe it could be the result. You know, if they were more popular in the Middle East, we may not have the problems over there. But I used to, we used to ship out. These, these horribly cheap baked beans to the Middle East. And ma- we made about <laughs> a quarter of a cent per crate of baked beans when we shipped out. Anyway, this was going on, and the business was, was just about paying for enough for me to
1: eat. Yeah. Not beans, I suspect. Not, not, no. In fact, I ended
0: <laughs> up eating a lot of the bean stock I said. When one day, uh, a company called Commodore phoned us up. Uh, this is, and they said, look, we, we make a um, home computer called the Commodore Amiga, and we would love to show you our product. It's going to be coming out really soon. We'd love to show you our product. And they invited us in. They sent a chauffeur-driven car for to pick us up. Now, bear in mind, all we were famous for was shipping out baking. Yeah, and you're I still, what are, you, what are you,
1: 18, 19, 20? Uh, no, I must point?
0: be, at this point, I must be 20, early, early, okay. early 20, you know... Uh, Yeah, 20-something, 23, 24. Yeah. They took us out, they showed us around their factory, showed us the Amiga. They said, we would love, love, love for you to put your product onto our machine. So they gave you a bunch of free computers. They gave us a bunch of free computers. And that's when I realized that we were called Taurus Impacts. There was another company called... Taurus, spelt T O R U S, like the <laughs> thing, and they made networks. We just shipped out baked beans, but I lied.
1: So, and straight up mistaken identity. They just didn't realize they were talking the wrong Taurus. We, we had
0: the Amiga number six, we, the sixth Amiga, all signed by the uh, all signed by the people, and from there, that gave me. The computers, so that I was able to start fiddling around with these computers and pl- messing around with them, which which kind of led to popular
1: And that's some yeah, how, so I'm getting how a you, lot of a <laughs> lot of crazy things out in the middle. Yeah, of that, that's yeah. so that somehow leads to you start you start bullfrog because you decide yeah. I better do something with these yeah, computers exactly. and maybe make make a game, that's right.
0: make yeah. games. Yeah, uh, they, we <laughs> the, you know we had these computers. The baked bean business was was rubbish. They, Money systems weren't being awarded anymore, and that's when I, you know, I thought, right, we, you know, let's start, and, and, and I'll do a game, yeah. uh, you know, I'll write a game. And, um, you know, you couldn't, it wasn't a really snappy name, Taurus Impex, so <laughs> thought a bullfrog. Sounds important. Yeah, sounds yeah. important, doesn't it? It wasn't. And um, yeah, started working on it again. The first thing that we did...
1: Um, yeah, you, you're quoted as saying you, that you bullshitted your way through Bullfrog's first game, yeah. which was a port, a translation yes. of a game called Druid 2 yes. Enlightenment. Yes. How do you bullshit your way through your first through? through I'll first tell you game? how, Ryan.
0: It uh, was with a, uh, this... Com- I had a friend called Andrew Bailey. And he said, oh, I've got some friends who've done this game called Druid 2 Enlightenment on the Commodore 64. And they're called the Carter brothers, and uh, I, I, I file never file that name away for I later. File that name for later. I never, I never met them. And um, he said, I, Firebird would give you four thousand pounds." That was, a, you know, I was so poor in those days. I, 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 I was disgustingly poor. <laughs> I won't even begin to tell you where I showered, um, but um, we we'll, That's that's for another time. So I, um, so I had a meeting with these people. Now, bear in mind, I hadn't done any games programming before. Yeah. And this, this, I, I can remember this meeting, this guy called Tony Beckworth, who's still in the industry today, still hasn't forgiven me <laughs> even today. And so Tony said, right, Peter, um, you know, what frame rate can you, can you do the game in? Oh, shit. A frame rate? <laughs> <laughs> so I said... Five or six and he said, uh, well, only five or six. Well I mean five or six to start with, but then going up to ten or fifteen. He said, Oh we well, know it's gotta be thirty. Well, I'll i double that, almost uh, <laughs> I was complete and utter bullshit. And then I got this game, I you know, it was done by um programmed by Simon and Dean Carter and this guy Andrew Bailey and they'd done a pretty good job of it. I actually from the way they laid out the the code, I learned an awful lot from doing that and did the conversion. So
1: not unlike Pong, <coughs> yeah. you effectively learned by deconstructing yes. Yes. Druid 2 yes. and reassembling yes. Yes. it on that's, the Amiga.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. You're,
1: that's so right. already your life, your career, is a series yeah. of insane absolutely. breaks and coincidences. So, totally. And yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, and we're yeah. just getting started. Uh, yes. So after that, so that clearly goes well enough.
0: Yeah. And... Well, yeah, it, it, you know, 4000 was, a, was <laughs> enough money to keep me in baked potatoes and I was, you know, working my way <laughs> through those tins of baked beans yeah. and uh, to enable me to not have to live so hand to mouth and, and that enabled me to think about other games.
1: Like Populous. Uh, you, you come up with the concept for Populous, yep. which uh, is a Hall of Fame caliber game. It's uh, sold 4 million copies. Yeah, yeah. At what point with Populous, obviously you must have thought it was a good idea (laughs) as you went through with it, and then it sells 4 million copies. When when do you know it's a huge hit?
0: Well, I didn't have a clue. Now, taking back to those days, you know, here's someone who really hadn't worked with anybody who'd done a game before. I, you know, converted a game, right. but I didn't know the right and wrong way of doing it. And the story behind Populous is I walked in one day and I was working, sitting next to someone called Glenn Corpus, who who's, was this graphic artist. He was employed to do the graphics on Druid 2. And he was messing around with um these isometric blocks on screen yeah. and i said to him oh give me those blocks and i just mess around with them and i started messing around with these blocks and i thought and that's where the story of the little little yes. characters come in i thought ah well, the, you know these blocks they're kind of like an island mm-hmm. and so i made this 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 island shape with a with a, and Glenn drew the blue water and i had these little characters on there and then i thought God, it'd be great if they, you know, all ran around. But I just couldn't... I wasn't a smart enough coder to do the root finding of these little characters, so they go from A to B. And so I started, you know, writing the code to so you could raise the land up and push the land down. And that mechanic was born really out of my incompetence as a coder. <laughs> and then the next thing that happened is that Glenn and I... Got an RS-232 cable. You probably don't even know what that is, do you? An RS-232 cable? Maybe at uh,
1: some point. Somewhere in my yeah, head it so, might exist. So
0: basically it was a serial cable that allowed you to to communicate. To oh, the com ports, The, the, the com ports, yeah. yeah. Ser- okay, t- yes. T- t- normally they were made for attaching the modem to the thing. And there was a big ribbon cable. Yeah,
1: like, was not, is that the 9 or is that <coughs> the It was a uh, 16-pin. Oh, anyway.
0: Okay, yeah, I think yes. it was 16 we swapped two pins and plugged two, the two of these medias together, okay. and we started playing Populous multiplayer. And that really was the birth of Populous. Yeah. Because every day we would play it, and I would had simple rule, if Glenn beat me, there was something wrong with the game. It was that simple <laughs> in my mind, and we carried on playing. And really, no one saw, saw it. We didn't have a publisher. We eventually took it, me and Les took it round to Quite a few publishers, and no publisher was really interested in it at all because, you know, it wasn't there wasn't any shooting, and it was just too weird for them. And eventually, we went to Electronic Arts, and um, Mark Lewis and David Gardner were just setting up the European office. Just they were just setting up the European office, and they said, "Okay, we'll publish it because we we've got a hole in our portfolio. Yeah, you need to need Deliberate. some content. Yeah, we need some content." <laughs> So I delivered the game. I'd never dealt with a publisher before, and um, the game came out, and this journalist called Bob Wade, I still know him to this day, and he was a journalist on a magazine called Ace, um, which I don't think ever was, was sold over there, came into the studio. Now, when I say a studio, it was a, a room that was about the size of this, <laughs> and it just smelled horrible. You know, there was... There was there were several life forms which used to be pizzas in the corner, and there was you know piles of, co- and we of course those days you you couldn't be a coder without smoking sixty cigarettes a day, when it, it, was, it, it was it was <laughs> absolutely in pleasure. England. Well. So I, I had this mountainous ashtray with it piled with these the cigarette ends. <laughs> so it, it stunk high I and mean, Bob Wade came in, and I thought, oh, God, I, I've never met a journalist before. I thought, oh, you yeah, know, what am I going to do with this guy? You know, what? You know he terrified me. I knew he was a famous journalist. So I, I know. Golden Rule, take him down the pub, get him drunk. Took him down the pub. We got absolutely slaughtered. You know, had f- like 15 pints each. And the whole time, all I really wanted to ask is, what did you think of the game? Yeah. And he said, uh, so eventually, oh, you know, we were virtually falling on the floor. You said, get it
1: out of him, finally. Yeah, you
0: know, Bob, what did you think of the game? And he said it's the greatest game I've ever played. Wow. And the first thought that came into my mind is, he must never play the game ever again. <laughs> <laughs> because he must have made a mistake. And really that was my first inkling that this weird, crazy game was, was going to be... Such, such
1: please such tell such. me that uh, since you worked with EA that, that they, and you never worked with a publisher, yeah. please tell me they didn't rake you over the coals and you actually made some money on Poppy. Uh,
0: well... Uh, the the other funny story is that they phoned me up um, after it had shipped out and said, "Congratulations, you're a millionaire." we we've, we've, we've because Populus accounted for a th- I think it was a third of the entire uh, revenue of electronic arts. Wow! For almost two years.
1: It yeah, was, that's uh, I think pre-Madden and it was you know, it was, it was pre-Madden, but it, it was millions and millions and millions. Wow!
0: What they admitted to say to me, it would be a further nine months before I saw a single penny, and the contract was so awful, it would you know I got I think I got less than seven percent oh. of the retail price. It would be you know oh. to me it was a fortune at the time. But it did allow me to, you know, it, did, it kind of gave me the confidence to start, you know, experimenting with, you know, other games. yeah.
1: And is, uh, at that point, are your parents just over the moon that, that their son has, has uh, well,
0: you, well, you, turned from a bullshit artist into, you, you, into a successful yeah, game yeah. developer? Well, <laughs> you've got to remember that for a start, you know, I, I, I was, because it took so long to get the actual money. And, you know, my parents didn't have any money to lend me anything. And I was just this slightly, you know, bizarre person in computer games, you know, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Get back to accountancy college, you know? So it wasn't until, I don't think really, they really realized I was, you know, there was something tangible there until, really until the time, uh, when when Bullfrog was sold, I think, and that's that was,
1: yeah. Uh, so uh, eventually, EA does does come to you and, mm. and purchase Bullfrog. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that the point where you finally it's a life change? It's a life changing oh, it, situation because it, you, you've you've
0: sold. You're able yeah, to sell the it, studio it, it's, at that it's, point. It's, it's completely life changing. Yeah, it, it it you know up until that point, you know I, I'd done Populous, I'd done Powermonger. I think done, we'd done Syndicate, but really, I hadn't really made any real money because yeah. we just put it you know, all back in. Put it all back in. Yeah. And it wasn't until, and then Electron Cards um, purchased Bullfrog, and it was a kind of cash day one deal. Wow. And um, it, 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 it was the, I, w- I would say that was one of the most distressing. Periods of my life. Distressing. It, not, absolute,
1: not wonderful. It no, was distressing.
0: It was, ter- it was awful. It was awful. Really? It was terrible. It was terrible. Why? I think anyone who wins the lottery
1: will say exactly the same. I mean, there have certainly been stories about Yeah, how it it, be. Be, because
0: what people happen- coming out of the woodwork on you? No, will, you know, what happened was in everybody else, you know, up until that point, I was just this cigarette smoking. Slightly eccentric um, bloke that 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 would just work all the time, yeah. and then after that point, I was a successful businessman with millions and millions of pounds, and all the relation, all my relationships with people that I worked with, com- overnight, completely changed. Wow! I got this this for
1: the worse. It sounds like it,
0: it, it would. It, it, there is something. Really, str- And it's a very interesting thing to explore. There's something really s- strange that happens to you when you go from being in a place where you can afford nothing, where, where you know, my mail by my front door was that high because I daren't open any letter because yeah. I knew they were all final demands. I was going <laughs> to beat the bailiffs. Yeah, I was eating baked beans. The bailiffs were coming in all the time. You go from that to having enough money that you can afford anything, anything. And I can remember walking down a local high street and thinking, I can afford an in fact there's a
1: very, yeah, what'd you buy? There's a what, what really
0: that? funny there's a really funny story. So me and Les, we just signed this deal and we got back to England and we're walking along this famous road in London called King's Road. Some fabulous shops there. And there's a section of King's Road which has got lots of antique shops in. And uh I say to it, let's go in and buy something crazy. So, <laughs> so I walk into the store and the, the people in London uh, in this particular street are really quite horrible people. You know, they don't like just, you know, yeah, I, here, I'm, I've never been much of a dresser and I certainly uh, don't look.
1: You're the, you're the riffraff. I,
0: I'm the raff. You, you know, and so, yes, what, what do you want? <laughs> and so I walked in and I said, they had this beautiful uh, table, this partner's table, and I said, uh, "I'll take that. One. I'll take one of those, please." Yeah, and uh, she said, um, "I'm afraid you can't afford that." Wow! And I said, I'm "Thank you, but I very much think I can afford that. How much is it? Three and a half million pounds." <laughs> So I had to walk out of that, out of the shop, thinking, oh, So, you know, even through, you know, Jeez. they were, yes, I mean, Judah. I think she inflated the price a little bit. I should hope so. It just goes to show, no matter how much money you've got, there's always something which you can't, you yeah. can't actually. Afford.
1: Did you buy anything though? Did you end up uh,
0: treating uh, yeah, yourself? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I bought, you know, I bought a house, um, which was was crazy. I bought this 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 really big house and. All this, everything I owned fitted into the hall, yeah. And it, it was this big. It was a big <laughs> house, I'm not you know, I bought this house, and I, you know, I can remember. You know, I had you know people over everything like that. But there was one. I've been there for about uh, you know about a week, and I was sitting in this house. I was completely, and I thought. What have I got this house for? I think I've even got the furniture for it.
1: I brought a, you know, fantastic car and 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 everything like that. So, all right, let's let's get <clears throat> let's get back to games because yeah. uh, I want to ask you about theme park because I yeah. I feel like theme park is, I think it's the most underrated game in your yeah. portfolio. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree with that? What do you think?
0: Well it was the most successful game. Yeah. Funny enough. But I feel
1: like nobody ever taught like we no. don't we don't talk about no. it now.
0: No. That's what I mean. It's because I ruined it. I made this huge mistake in America, just in America. And what I did was is that the I think it was GameStop one of the big um, one of the big retailers, store yeah. retailers, it may have been GameStop, maybe I don't know which one it was, they came to to me and said oh, we've heard you're doing Theme Park, we, we've got this opportunity, we're going to, we're going to do this disc, which um, we'll give out to every single customer that comes in the store. If you put a demo of Theme Park on there, it would be fantastic.
1: Sounds so, like a yeah, good deal, sounds yeah. Sounds
0: like a good deal. As they said, the only thing is, if you put a demo on there, we really have to have the game about a month later. You know, because otherwise people yeah, have to convert demo. those to
1: sales, and
0: yeah, yeah. So I had to live this demo. It was a rubbish demo. You know, the, the, there's a real psychology to demos. If it's too long, people don't feel like they need to buy the game. Right. If it's got bugs in there, don't buy the game. It's too short. anyway. It was. It broke. It was a terrible demo. The game actually didn't come out for nine more months, that- which <laughs> meant that actually. Theme Park was not successful in America at all, but in Europe, it was fabulously... It was in the top 10 in Europe for 10 years. Wow. to every, every year, year after year, which was bizarre because I did the coding on that and I made a mistake. <clears throat> I... Anyone who knows about coding, you, you frame lock the game. So if, it, if it's running on a machine that's faster... It doesn't go really, really no, no, no,
1: fast. A 486 ver- yeah. will run. Yeah. It. And so it, it was
0: 386. Yeah, exactly. It will run 10 times. And I didn't frame lock it. So it was selling for 10 years. But <laughs> the bizarre thing, if you brought it, and by that time it was an Intel God knows what, yeah, Pentium. You, you would play it. And by the time the first screen came out, everything was moving incredibly fast because <laughs> it wasn't frame locked. That's how people played it, I just don't know. Wow. But it, it was fabulously successful in Europe, fabulously successful in Japan, and yeah,
1: it just seems yeah. like it doesn't get talked doesn't get about no, in, the, in the sort of no, pantheon no. of no. great classics. And then,
0: of course, Ro- Rollercoaster Ty- Tycoon came out six months after um, Theme Park, Yeah. and it—I think it—it it had it had more kind of more. Serious graphics, which actually I think people in America like more. I think people uh, in 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 Japan like the kind of cartoony graphics. Yeah. Uh,
1: Dungeon Keeper yes. was was that the beginning of your fascination with empowering uh, the protagonist in your game to to actually be evil?
0: Yeah, well, I I you know I can remember the the whole the whole ethos behind um, Dungeon Keeper is that. Yeah, you know, I was getting sick of watching films. Especially James Bond films where the poor bad guy or you know no one ever <laughs> talks about why you know how bad how, how incredibly hard it must be to be a bad guy. You know, how the the recruitment. What about his alone? Feelings? What about their feelings? <laughs> and I thought wouldn't it be just really funny to make a game where you run the dungeon. Yeah. Where you're the bad guy and all of your minions they're just bad and evil, and the good guys come in, and they're just sickeningly good. And that really—that's—that's that's, that's what happened. And funny enough, the people I work with—I work with this um, this guy called um, these two people called Simon and Dean Carter.
1: Again, we Again. referenced them earlier, we and we're, we're going to get to them in the. Uh, and it was only else
0: after else. working with them for six months that I realised they were the. The two Carters that did my first conversion, which was a bizarre. Thing. Oh, so that was a coincidence? It was purely a coincidence. Wow. Didn't know they didn't know I'd done
1: it. They, they, I didn't know they'd done it. That's crazy. Mm. Uh, so why then? Why did you leave Bullfrog in the end? You know, you were there. You had you built this company and then sold it and and were successful. <clears throat>
0: It, it was, it was really, really immaturity. If I'm honest, yeah, I'll be honest with you, and you know, it, it was very confusing time for me, incredibly confusing time, and I don't think I was mature enough to really de- deal with all the things that was happening. Meaning the success, or it, there, a, it, it was a success. It, there was success was one thing. Another huge thing was that Electronic Arts had said. Right, we. I want you to grow, bullfrog, to be much, much bigger. So, in the, over the course of about six months, we went from an office of thirty people into about an office of about three hundred people. Wow, that's difficult. Which, you, and you've got to remember the thirty. I'm not asking for any sympathy because it, you know none, none's necessary. But when you're working with a team of thirty people, there's a relationship you build up. You know you eat together, you sleep together, you dream these dreams together, which you can 't do with three hundred people,
1: yeah, I suspect almost an an unspoken uh, yeah. understanding yeah. of you know yeah. I know what you're yeah. going to do, you know yeah. what i'm going to yeah. do, but yeah. if there's three hundred people, yeah. you have no idea no. how all the pieces that's right. fit that's right,
0: so there's that side of it then plus <clears throat> you know there was this fascinating thing of of being a Senior vice president of electronic arts. And that had a burden to it, hmm. which, um, although fascinating, and I learned an enormous amount from these guys, it did mean I did an awful lot of traveling. I did an awful lot of things which weren't to the core of what I was, which was a designer and a coder. So I think putting all those things together, I kind of felt that um, that maybe it would be best. I'm going, to te- I'm going to tell you the real story now. Please, it's, it's a terrible. It's a, this is a terrible story. It really, it really. It's what, gives, what the it's for. Gonna, it's gonna it's show is It's going to show in such a bad light. So I was thinking about you know, shall I, You know, shall, what should I do? You know, should I say to electron Guards, I want to resign as vice president? Should I say that? I had invited a friend of mine round, who i had been working with for years and years, called Tim Rance, um, and he was the technical director. And Tim and I got very drunk. Uh, this is the absolute truth. We got okay. very drunk, and Tim said, "Yeah, you should leave. Really, you know, what's the point in staying? You should leave." And I said, "Yeah, let's write the email." And so I write out this email: "Dear Larry." it was Larry Prebs dear Larry thank you very much this is mine I'm handing my notes in officially thank you Peter and to my horror Tim pressed send oh no and of course I never would have done it I mean it was the worst possible way to hand your notice in it was terrible don't don't drunk and don't drunken no, type. No drunk and, don't, and, type. Uh, no drunk and around, around, don't type emails, yeah. Well
1: yeah. do you call Larry and 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 uh, just explain the well, situation?
0: It, it, <laughs> it started a whole chain of events off which, which 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 were were kind of impossible to stop. Huh. And it it started these you know the, 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 straight the they got very as you would and as actually Microsoft did as well, they got very paranoid about me leaving and taking everybody with me and ah, setting so up a new so you put the student.
1: thought in their head with your exactly, drunken mistake. Exactly, exactly.
0: It was too late, you right. know, to actually. So they said, they actually said very quickly, they said, right, we don't want you to come into the office anymore, which was terrible for me. Oh. It, was abs- it was like, you know, it was like. It was like ousting me from my family. Don't come. But you completely understand it, Ryan. You know, and uh, don't come into the office anymore. We're going to shut down Dungeon Keeper, and we, we, you know, we want you to act out your leave your notice period in a gar in what's called garden leave, where you sit and do nothing. And I said, "There's no way. Look, I I rather finish." Dungeon Keeper under my own steam. So we actually, we actually wrote most of Dungeon Keeper at my house. Wow. And, uh, you, you know, with Simon and Dean Carter, uh, Mark Healy, who now runs Media Molecule, John T. Barnes, who's a senior producer at Bungie. Bungie, yeah. Uh, and Tony Cox, who's a um, senior um, engineer at Microsoft, and and me. Yeah. It's just seven of us do it. So,
1: would you take Someone back would you something. take back that email if you could?
0: I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it was such a silly thing.
1: Wow, to do. It, <laughs> it was just so unprofessional. You know? that's a story. Yeah, that's.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I've ever told that story. I,
1: yeah. I, mean mean, honesty's good. Right? I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I mean, it's it's yeah. again. This is why I love doing this because these yeah. kinds of great stories. Uh, so that actually segues us perfectly into the next chapter mm-hmm. of your career, which is Lionhead. Yeah. Uh, so you start. You found Lionhead. Yep. Uh, so, what came first, Lionhead or the idea for Black and White? Did did uh, you start the company and then figure out what to do, or did you have this? You'd been you'd ousted yourself from EA and had this idea for Black and White and figured um, I need a company.
0: The 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 the, the I, I was thinking about. I definitely had this thought in my mind is that people have been asking me about you know, AI and AI in computer games and emotion in computer games and for quite some time now. This is the, the sort of late uh, 90s. Yeah, and I mean, I was,
1: that, was, that was a big frontier that Half-Life did yes, a lot for yeah, you. Know, people exactly. were eager for these breakthroughs yeah, in, yeah, in game AI. Um,
0: and I, you know, so there was there was an idea buzzing around in my mind. It wasn't exactly what Black and White was before we founded the company, but it was close enough. And um, so we founded the company, <clears throat> and then we we worked on the on the idea. Uh, at this point, it's worth just touching on the crazy way that I approach games development. Please, um, when you and and. I think this way of approaching game development is the most insane way of doing it. But it, the, the really successful games have been developed this game this way. I've been so lucky that, you know, I've worked with people to enable the success. And the, the way is that I approach it is, <clears throat> I always have a, um, I always have a. It's not an idea that comes first. It's a feeling that comes first. And, like, with Black and White, it was the feeling of control again, like like a populace. And you've got to remember that, um, you know, I had done Theme Park and I'd done a Dungeon Keeper. But in a way, it was a further away from that control because Dungeon Keeper was... Had an element of life to it, but it wasn't quite as m- m- what I wanted. I, w- I wanted a, a real living world. Going back to that little short story that yep. I, I read, having a feeling for an idea, and then um, working with the people I work with. There's one person I work with, and I've worked with on every single game that I've ever done, called Paul McLaughlin, except Populous, and he What he and I do, and we're working on this new game at the moment called Legacy, and he does exactly the same. He makes this idea that I've got as physically as possible. Mm -hmm. So he'll build model, physical models of it, or we'll talk about how we can get to the feeling that we want. So in, in uh, in Black and White's case, he made this landscape out of wire mesh, Wow. And put this, this you know, a plaster of Paris over the top, and made all these little models. And we had had this little um, uh, this character made out of Lego, actually, <laughs> um, you know, as as a scale representation. In um, the my last game called The Trail, instead of physicalizing it with something like that, we actually went on these walks. I've got these hilarious videos of us all walking and and exploring the game idea. So that physical side is really important. And then the next thing is to start down the road of development. Now, that road isn't hasn't really got concrete design documents to it. It's all about, and this is where I've got into such terrible trouble, it's all about trying an idea out, seeing if it works, and normally I think of those ideas as like, they have a life of their own. If they are good ideas, they'll survive in the game. Yeah. If they're bad ideas, they'll wither. Um, in Fable's case, I'll give you an example of that bad idea. And then, and then you know, trying an idea out, failing in it, trying another idea out. But it's always true the heart of the game really comes a little bit later. So the three stages are the initial thought of the idea of the game the physicalization of the, and the experimentation. So it's a, a very, very kind of... Um, it's a very abstract way of working, very hard to predict how long it, something will take.
1: Would it be fair to say we probably wouldn't teach that way in a game design university? I don't think we would, no, yeah. no. But it
0: works for no. you. It works. It definitely works for me. And I think it wor- the great thing about doing this way, this way of development, what you don't do... Is you don't look at, you don't say, I want to make one of those. I want to make a role playing game. I want to make a. Yeah. You know, Fable didn't start out as a role playing game. Really? No. It didn't start out well, as. What did a role it start game. out as? It started out as like, something called Wish World. And it was about uh, wizards fighting on the landscape, hmm. kind of on the magic carpet engine. That's how it's, That's how it started. You know, the original. Fable didn't have any morphing character in it at all. Huh. That, that, that came an awful lot later. It, it kind of came as a result of not being able to fit enough bars on screen, so we said, why don't we have the, car- the character itself reflect what it is? Anyway, it's a, it's a very interesting way of working. So and it, it, when you the, the great thing about that is you're never sure where the game's going to go. The terrible thing about that is you have to have a team of people that totally embrace this idea of experiment, fail, experiment."
1: So there is no are you saying there is no design document for most of your games?
0: I'm, it, it's terrifying how small the design document is. Huh. Um, it's a little bit different nowadays because you don't finish a game now. And uh, you, uh, so, at the moment, what I've got is I've got a fantastic team of people who do do design documents when on their locked features. Mm-hmm. But if you saw a design document, it's almost it's ninety nine percent visual. It's just it's pictures, right? This is you know this leads to this, this leads to this. I mean, i would be totally happy for you to have a look at some of the some of the early design documents for. Any of the games are interesting. In
1: yeah, I mean, I wonder. I mean, that's your your games do have. I think it's very fair to say, and certainly for me, that there is a there is a sort of a, a unique charm, whether mm. it's Populous or whether it's Dungeon Keeper or yeah. Black and White yeah. or ver, certainly yeah. Fable as well. And <coughs> maybe that's where it comes from: is that, that sort of yeah. starting with yeah. with a feeling yeah. rather it's, than it, with a, necessarily yeah. a design document. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting.
0: It, 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 it is, yeah. So anyway, when we start going back to the start of of Lionhead, when we started Lionhead, the idea was we had this landscape, we had a creature, but really nothing, yeah, much else, and then it was bringing this team together, and that was the Gee, that team was just breathtakingly brilliant you know if you if you look at black and white back in the, back in those days, it, it came out in two thousand and one, and we first did the demo. A demo at E3, I think in 1998, and there was this amazing, uh, amazing thing happened at E3. We had, you know, queues of people queuing up to, yeah. see, to see this demo, and it was just so far ahead of its time. <laughs> it really was. It, it, you know, we said. I remember us saying, right, we're, we're going to have a game without any interface. It's just going to be a Pure view on the world and yeah. we, we, we kind of stuck to that, and the the AI was real AI it was proper it was very good proper proper AI you know and it, it, the the creature itself had it had um, a, a belief system which the player could play around with it had desires and it had actions and there 's this famous story when Richard and i Richard Evans, who was this genius um AI coder, um, when, we, when we first managed to get the creature working, he was kind of standing there and um, he was kind of swiping his arms down uh, towards, the, towards his legs, and we couldn't work out what was going on, and we would given him the desire to eat as one of his fundamental desires. Mm-hmm. And he looked around the world for things to eat. And he looked for the most nutritious thing to eat, which was, of course, his legs.
1: Oh, the legs. We, legs the his legs. Le- So he we was trying to pick his <laughs> legs see.
0: up to eat his legs. But it was a fantastic, fantastic
1: time. So, And and black and white, even though it, it took longer than anticipated longer to release, longer, when yeah. it finally did, it was incredibly well-received, yeah. incredibly yeah. successful. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you funded it yourself. yep, yeah, I did. So... Yeah. That's extra satisfying, right? When it does well, and it's yeah. you don't mm. have uh, yeah. The, yeah. the corporate overlord to yeah. answer to. Yeah. And I mean, is is Black and White the game you're most proud of in your career? Would you say? What do you think?
0: It's impossible to answer that question,
1: right? Okay. It's like
0: saying which which kid are you most proud <laughs> of. You know, everything. Black and White was. It had its huge tensions because you know, although. At the time, it seemed like I made an enormous amount of money out of electronic cars yeah. buying the company. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't gazillions of of dollars. And running a studio, as anyone would tell you, is very expensive. Yeah. And, I, you know, after four years, that's a lot of money. A hell of a lot of money. <laughs> so it was getting pretty scary towards, uh, towards the end of that. Um, but it was... The team itself was just incredible, and we worked so very, very hard. uh, uh, I think I worked, this is before I was married and had children, I think I worked for nine months, I worked every single day for a minimum of 14 hours. Wow. And I loved every second of it. My holiday was E three. That's, that's,
1: that's when I had my time off with E three, and it was it was fantastic time. So after that, then you move to Fable. Yeah, and we you told yeah. you just mentioned what Fable started as, and yeah. it finds its finds its voice as yes. Project Ego as Fable. Yes, yes, yes. Which which Fable's the best one in your opinion? Because the th- the three core ones are very different from
0: one. They are one. very different. Yeah, I think one well, for me, it's Fable two.
1: Me too. <laughs> it, it
0: it's I think we were were finding our feet in fable one, and you know there were there were some things that really um aggravated me that we couldn't do we couldn't make it more fable one more open world, possibly because the system just didn't have enough money right We had this ridiculous thing where I had said in the press about. You should be able to plant an oak. I was going to, you know. I, I had
1: to ask you about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then the ridiculousness is the way I worked. You know, at one point in the game, the game did have acorns that you could plant that would grow into trees. Yeah. But, you know, this is the Xbox One we're talking about. The, I mean, the original Xbox Yeah, the original Xbox, not the Xbox One, <laughs> the, the Xbox, you know, initial one. And, yes. you know, Fable was pretty much well pushing it. So, Fable One. There were some technical restrictions there. I thought that, I thought that it was, um, it was a little bit too piecemeal. I loved the humour, I loved the world that yeah, we created. Absolutely, absolutely loved and adored it. And I thought it, would, it could go take it a long way. And then Fable Two was all about getting to the emotion of the player and getting people to care about it, and making choice is a lot more meaningful
1: enter the dog
0: enter the dog yeah Yeah. enter the dog
1: Uh. hey there this is Justin Bartha I made a funny new podcast King of the Egg Cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black I'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale you can eat it That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
0: This is the story of Harry Dallowance and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg
1: Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, what, what is it about Fable that you think made it great?
0: I think it was, uh, firstly, I'm English, so it's very hard for me to critique in anything that I do and call it great. But I think for me, it was was a mix of humor. I think the humor was incredibly important. I think it was in a world that was genuinely fascinating and very creative. And and I think Dean Carter did a fantastic job of coming up with creatures and, and, and ethoses and and story story bits which were truly fascinating and very unique. Um, and I think it was, especially Fable 2, it tried to be accessible. It tried to... It, you, you've got to remember that back in those days, a lot of role-playing games were quite inaccessible. They were quite complex and yeah. dense. And, you know, one of my criticisms were when I played um role playing games you kind of had to play them every single day because you very quickly forgot where you were and who you were and what you were doing and what this power up meant and, and and I think that fable tried to, to kind of challenge that
1: uh do you have any you know you, you've you've been on record uh yeah. admitting your uh Mistakes you thought happened yeah. with Fable Three, yeah. uh, time being a big one. You thought yeah, you know, it was yeah, rushed, but yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have any regrets about Fable? Because it was your your last one was uh, the Journey, the the Connect yeah, project. Yeah, but just in, yeah. it's sort of the with the series in general. Do you have any regrets with it, or or no?
0: I think that there was a big mistake that I made. I think it's going to be quite a surprising one. I think. I think we moved too time ty- through time too quickly. I think we went fable one fable two, five hundred years are past, yeah. and I think I should have been fifty years. Hmm. I think we lost It meant that the world jumped, and the same with Fable two to Fable three. again, the world jumped into a more of a kind of inspired by victorian times and you know I love the the fact that Bowerstone had kind of grown into this 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 you know more industrial thing, but it was too far forward. And that meant that we kind of ran out of time. <laughs> you know, where do we go next? Right. And fable in space. I mean that <laughs> didn't really that didn't that didn't really fit. So I think there was there there was that arc to it. I I also felt that um I really loved the Teresa character. I really loved the arc that she was on she sure. started this little little girl this little innocent girl with a with the sight and she ended up as being one of the most powerful characters in the universe and I think she really we wasted in fable journey she was wasted a little bit her, her, the, her the end of her arc should have been so much more than it actually turned out actually turned out to be, and that was a a little bit away. So, yeah, I, I think you always have regrets about these things, so,
1: yeah. Uh, Fable the Journey, which yeah. uh, I, I reviewed it for us, it, it, for me, it was fun mm. when Connect physically allowed yeah, it I to know. work, I know. I know. Uh, which yeah. was about half the time yeah. in my recollection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did you guys volunteer for that project, or did, did uh, Microsoft come <laughs> to you and say, we could use some Kinect games, yeah. can you help us yeah. out?
0: I th- I... I, I I Find it hard to remember yeah, the exact sequence of yeah. because you have got to remember there was <clears throat> connect came there was a Milo thing
1: I'm going to ask you about that in and
0: the, yeah and then there was um, and then there was Fable the Journey and I'm it's kind of we're a little confused in my mind about the order of when these things happened but you know connect I'll be honest it was a disaster. It was a disaster, Ryan. It was a train wreck. It started as this device, which kind of could do everything itself. Yeah. it didn't take up any processor power. The field of view was was you know could encompass a whole room. Right. The the audio the audio on it, which no one really talks about, was originally supposed to be you know multi sensing. It could sense where you were, where you walked across. It ended up being none of those things. Mm. It ended up being a device which was you had to sit in a very small arc to, to get it. And as you said, it's promise. The promise of when Kudo walked out on stage and went like that was so enormous. In fact, it reminds me a little bit of VR at the moment. Is The promise is so big. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. You just think, oh, my God, my, you know, my console can see me. Right. That's the promise, but the actual delivery of that promise fell so far short. You had to go like this. It was such <laughs> gross motions, and so when you were, you know, for me, the connect was always about my me being physically in this universe, right. and it was all. It wasn't about doing this about throwing things or hitting things because that was too exhausting it was about relaxing. and I kept on saying over and over again you cannot play fable the journey or any connect game if uh, unless you're drunk standing up yeah. we just don't want to so do you it, set it in, a, in, a, in the coach yeah so that's why we set it on the coach and you know it was such a, a real tragedy that the 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 the, the team did as Good a job as they possibly could to try and make connect bully connect into being, you know, compliant. Um, But you know, if you could, you know, and this is what was in my mind. I I imagine doing this, you know, I, you know, uh, sure enough, it was all about casting spells. If I wanted to cast a spell, I want to do that. You should get a fucking amazing (laughs) spell, cool fireball, right? A very very cool fiber. But if I really wanted to feel powerful, it was doing this, a flick of the wrist. You know, if there's a little hob coming towards you, you could just do that. <laughs> it would feel lovely, it would feel fantastic. That was out of the question. It hmm. was just out of the question. And so the scope of Fable the Journey, when I first showed it, it was riding on this wagon which, which with, the, with the horse's reins, and we right. kind of tried to do, and it, Our intention was to try and make it an open world game, that why not, why not have this wagon that's going from Bowerstone to all different, and we had to narrow it down more and more and more as we realized that it was very difficult to work with Connect.
1: Oh, that's, yeah. that's too bad that, yeah. Maybe I mean, well, with the with the VR and the, you know, the Vive controllers or moves, yeah, maybe I mean, it would
0: be, it would be, it could it still would be really interesting. I mean, actually it's very interesting you you talk about that because you know, I've been looking at VR a little bit and um it's a it's it's quite a tricky device. And the For me, the reason it's so tricky is because it's all about how comfortable you feel. Yeah. And I find it very difficult to use, and maybe it's just me, when I have to look around a lot. Now, everyone's going to want to look around to start off with, but if the game relies on you doing this the whole time, you know, you're going to get dizzy, (laughs) super dizzy. And so something like riding, you know... navigating with a horse and a trap would mean that you don't have to look around so much because we could help you with guiding it around anyway. That's (laughs) that's my side, yeah.
1: So uh, after the way things ended up going with Mm. Bullfrog and your exit from EA, Mm. uh, why did you decide to sell Lionhead to Microsoft in 2006?
0: Uh, Well, let me just uh, explain to you at that time, um, I think Bullfrog was, was, there was this um, absolutely chaotic year where we had just released, we'd released Fable. It had done really, really well. We were working on Fable 2. We released within three weeks of each other. We released Fable uh, Lost Chapters Mm -hmm. on the PC. We released Black and White 2. And we released The Movies. This game called The Movies.
1: Oh, I remember.
0: Yeah, within three weeks of each other. (laughs) And the studio had grown to such a huge size, it was like almost 300 people. Wow. It was. Utterly terrifying. And they, you know, I, I wanted to actually install in the boardroom a huge digital counter showing how much money whatever studio was costing, because it was literally costing thousands of pounds a unit an hour. And that was terrifying. And most, but most of it was, you know, I said, I said to everyone we work with, look, we don't want to just survive. There's no point in just surviving. We want to make Fable Two, and we make make it a great game. And the only way we're going to do that is if we partner with someone, and they cover the they fund the studio, right? Because and those and this is back in two thousand and seven, teams were getting exponentially bigger, and yeah,
1: on the new the HD consoles. Yeah, the HD
0: consoles yeah, were coming out. Where you were talking about, you know, teams of 150, 200 people. And to cover 150 to 200 people, not many people realize this in this <clears throat> in the games industry, but there is a very strange economy that goes on being an independent developer. And that economy, um, and I really need a graph to, to, <laughs> to, to show it to you, it goes like this. You do a demo, you're completely unfunded, you do a demo, or you have a vertical right. slice, a vertical a, slice, a vertical slice or a to? green light meeting, and you go to a publisher and you say, "Right, I need to be funded to take this idea." They're already down a bit because you've had to punt the money on the, the first thing. Yeah, you you get the milestones, and the, the ridiculous thing is, the milestones only pay you from that moment they sign up the project, which usually takes a long time all the way up until the release of the game. But, and here's the problem, publishers recoup all the money they've paid you out of the sales of the game before you, they pay you a single penny. Right. So they they, there's this black hole. They get paid all the money that they put on the table yeah. to enable you to develop the game, which is kind of fair enough. They get paid. Now, for some studios... That can mean they never get any royalties for the game. For other studios, they have to wait another few months, which means they have to sign up another game. Ah. And it is very difficult. Very, very it's, it's
1: difficult. A, it's a cycle you can't get out it's
0: of. A, it's just the spiral of doom that you go down. Yeah. And of course, if you're thinking of, and back in those days, you're thinking of, right, I want, I've got a passion to make a great game, to make Fable. And it's, I especially wanted to do this because I was getting a lot of flack in the press, and it, that motivated me to try and make Fable two as best as it possibly could be. And um, that was a real reason.
1: yeah. Wow, that's and that's that's the kind of peek behind the curtain. I think that yeah, that that we as game players yeah you don't do, often get don't often
0: get it. a lot of <clears throat> you know a lot of people. It's a, very, it's a fascinating thing, and this is the absolute truth. Why aren't all games great?
1: Why aren't they all great, Graham? Time and money? Talent?
0: There's, and there's three, there's three things, in my opinion. The first is the talent of the team that's working on the idea. Has to be, they have to be super passionate, super talented. The second is the amount of money. No matter how talented your team is, if you run out of money... Unless you ship baked beans to the Middle East <laughs> and you want to eat your baked bean stock, people are going to run out of money. The other thing to mention is that this industry is different now. We used to be, we all used to be 20-somethings with no, so, this is me, 20-somethings with no social life that were willing to burn our life. Yeah, our no families. No family, families, no, family yeah. for the love of what we do Nowadays, people have got families, they've got children, and they need it. So the first is talent, the second is money, and the third, the worst, the most fatal thing to greatness is boredom.
1: Huh.
0: I've seen it so many times. People just get bored of developing the same fucking thing over and over again. And once a team is bored, they no it doesn't seat. matter how much you pay them, yeah. it doesn't matter how talented they are, they, you're going to lose them. And so you've got to keep them interested. And one of the problems we had with Lionhead was it was this glass ceiling and I was at the top of the glass ceiling. And people were kind of saying, ah, oh, well, we like working at Lionhead, but where do we go? Where do our careers go? And so it was actually quite a popular move to to sell to Microsoft. Hmm. But did, did,
1: given what you ex- just said exactly, yeah. did you worry that the studio would become a, a fable churn house, just a, a fable sequel house, and that exactly what you just talked about would happen?
0: In hindsight, I, I probably did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, at the time, if I'm really honest with you, there was all these pulls about you know, oh, well, Fable 1 isn't as great as it should have been in Icons and Promises and all stuff like that. And I thought, how can we solve this problem? And that is getting the funding to the game right and stability. There was this incredibly incredibly, uh, 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 um, increasing burn rate that was going on. Uh, and there was a lot of the staff, a lot of the, a lot of the people I worked with. Uh, that kind of wanted to be part of a bigger thing, you know, in, in back in those days. So, so yeah, you know, putting all that together, I didn't really think about what happened, what happened, what would happen next. And to be fair, to be absolutely fair, when we were first purchased, you. You know that we were allowed to play around and experiment with a number of different things, minor being one of them, yeah
1: yep, and that 's a perfect yeah. segue and yeah. I, I want you have some very interesting cancellations, uh, two of them in fact yeah. uh, I actually want to start let 's go back, yeah I want to ask you about b c yeah because b c is a game that uh very much captured my heart as mm, uh, behind closed doors at e three yeah. yeah. I want to say 2003, yeah, yeah. if I remember yeah, correctly, which was yeah. my first... So, whatever, 2003, yeah, 2004, yeah. you showed B.C. to the press. Yeah, I open, it.
0: Open. It, was, it was everything I wanted it to be. It was an open world, swimming pools of blood. There's this primitive world which you could take your tribe
1: through. With it all was, these, yeah. the, the A.I. of the dinosaurs yeah. and the survival. Yeah. And the, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it looked incredible. Well, so, how close was it to being done, yeah. and what happened was did did uh, Shane Kim and the, the Microsoft team yeah. at the time stop believing in it? Did you stop believing in it I, I wanted to hear the BC story. <clears throat>
0: yeah, the absolute story as I recall, and you 've got to be careful that you know the, you know this is a, <laughs> this is substance abuse brain here your yeah. version of the yeah. story my, my version of the story is this it was all about focus, we just simply Microsoft t- turned around to us and said, we're worried that you're f- focusing on too many different things.
1: You personally? Because, because you BC know, is, was, was being done at your satellites, you yeah, intrepid. Yeah. Not Lionhead.
0: Yeah. They, 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 these satellites were satellites, but they needed... A, the, the idea of those satellites initially was, we'll help the studio, we'll help them get a publishing deal, they'll develop the game, yeah. we'll carry on with Lionhead developing our games. The reality is... That they needed an enormous amount of support, you know. I Their just, game
1: became your game. Exactly. By, by I necessity. just,
0: you know, it wasn't just me. It was some of the technical people and the business people, and it became an enormous, you know. I just simply didn't have the hours in the day, you know. There, were, there is one more part of this story which I should tell you, but Please. it would take a very long time to tell you, and it was, it's, it's. It, no one's ever been told this part of the story. It's a fascinating story. You
1: can't leave it hanging like that.
0: Uh, well, I don't know if we've got the time <laughs> or that I've got the detail. And, and, it, and it, 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 it's actually quite a shocking part of the story. That you're no one you're making that. it
1: worse, by we, we, uh, <laughs> I, uh, it,
0: it. It's just basically, uh, I'll, I'll sum it up. Okay. The city of London came to us and wanted us to float on the stock market. I don't know what that means. They, we, we, so, um, they wanted us to do an IPO. Oh,
1: okay. All right
0: and to do an ipo we needed a certain number of products and those they had no they didn't give a shit about the business they just wanted to make the money out of the ipo anyway that's the foundation stone of the story which i won't even bother going into okay. it, was, it was disastrous. It was worth
1: going, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. But, but BC did, <coughs> did move along, and you, you, know, you it, showed it to media, yeah, As a, so, so I'm curious, and, how, how far the, was it? It was, it was...
0: I mean, to answer that question, you have to understand about development and how... I know, a little. And, and development and that time in the industry. That time in the industry and it still ex- this still exists. It's only recently this has stopped happening. What was happening is E3 was becoming so incredibly dominant. Yes. That teams would not spend a couple of weeks doing a demo. They would spend months doing a demo. Yeah. And they would make that demo just amazing and it was kind of a nuclear arms race of how to make the demo more amazing. That demo didn't mean it
1: was a great game. It meant it was a great demo. Right, because it, and, you, you, <coughs> it, it, it work, usually me. works where you, you kind of, you break it off from the main yeah. build, right? And you yeah, polish up yeah.
0: this E3 branch, The right? actual reality is that you, it, it becomes a living thing in itself. And this living thing, at best, can be sliced off from the main, from the main development of the game. At worst, infects. Huh. and disastrously infects the game. So, as any coder will tell you, any coder will tell you, when you are coming towards the end of a project, that's when your structure goes completely out of the way. It's when you think, oh, just sort it. I'll just type there. I'll just fix this bug. I don't care about whether it fits in the structure of it. And when you're running... to E3, every demo, you know, time runs out, you've got to do the demo. And that means your coding and your structure of your project gets very, very messy. And that's what happened with BC and what happened with a lot of of projects. And so what BC was, was a great demo. A truly great demo. But what had happened, and I think mainly because the team needed a little bit more guidance, that demo had completely, Actually destroyed any game that was there. It was just a great demo. So there came this point in time where, and the same had happened to Fable, by the way. Exactly the same had happened is that it was kind of one demo that we could fix one, but we couldn't fix both. We could we could fix both with the right amount of funding, but Microsoft were already you know umming and (laughs) ahring about about it, and when they said. You know, I think we should. You should focus on one. It effectively killed off BC, but it was a very tough choice to make.
1: The I idea mean, was cool. Was, the idea it was, it was, was really idea. cool.
0: And my, my, you know, if I, I bet you that if we continued, if Fable had faded away and we'd continued with BC, we'd be sitting here talking about BC three, <laughs> and it'd probably be some
1: disastrous where we're <laughs> set in space or something. <laughs> so uh, then the other one, then, which yeah. you alluded to a couple times, is. <laughs> <laughs> The real story of Milo and Kate. Another, you've you've already shared your feelings on Connect, mm. but what you know that was that that one uh, gets brought up a lot with you mm. uh, as you know, uh, sort of a almost smoke and mirrors thing. And mm. so, what mm. what really happened with that project?
0: Well, it was it was a little bit of a disaster. It started really when. Um, We were owned by uh, Microsoft, and very early on in the relationship, they showed me this weird device called Natal. Mm It wasn't called Connect; it was called Natal, and it was this. Yeah, the coding. It was quite a big, quite a big thing that stuck on top of the monitor. It wasn't a small Connect thing, and they were talking about it being this uh, device which had its own processor, which had a great field of view which could recognize people's voices an incredible spec to it and I said I would love to do a demo for it yeah. I've still got this demo and it was called the Green the Green Boy demo and it was all completely all fake <coughs> and I did the demo and it was shown to Don Matrick and he absolutely loved it and at that time, Microsoft was very much orientated towards if Don Matric, and, and I've got a lot of respect for Don. He has great intuition, and he was—he's he, a real, you know, he's, he's really quite eccentric. But you, you know, he had a—he was very good at being laser focused on certain things. And he said, "I love this project." I, well, I think we should go ahead and build it, make it. I want you to come out. I want you to show it to Steven Spielberg. And, I, you know, go around Hollywood and show it off. And that's exactly what we did. And we built this. And it is absolutely, it was amazing technology. It was amazing technology. I can show you a video. With
1: the prototype of the hardware. With the, with hardware. the, not, with the prototype final, of yeah. the hardware.
0: I can show you a video that, and probably, break all sorts of confidentiality things, of it being shown to members of the the public that were brought in... Focus group. Focus group. group, It's amazing technology. It was a complete and utter story. And the whole inspiration of that game was the joyful wonder that you get being a parent and seeing a child... Be inspired by what you do. And you could communicate it there was lots of tricks in it, but you could talk to Milo. It doesn't seem so amazing these days, because we talk to Siri all the time. Yeah. But back in those days, you could talk to Milo, and this was, this was really pioneering stuff. We and we'd send the, the, the that stuff off to the company called Tell Me, which would then was owned by Microsoft, and they would come back with a with what the the definition of what is. We set up all the, because my point was, we're never going to be able to solve being actually saying anything to Milo, but if we do, we get you into the right mindset, you're, you know, and you say, what are you doing, Milo, or why are you climbing the tree, Milo? We can interpret those, those sentences. All that stuff worked. There were these magical moments of being able to put things into Milo's world. I mean, I mean, I've got a video on my computer. I was just looking through. I mean, this is magical thing of being able to f- put physical things into Milo's world. All of that stuff worked as we were doing it. Every time I went over to Seattle and met with the Connect team, and we've had to narrow, narrow the field of view, right? It- we've had to we've had to downgrade the process and. The thing was, it was breaking their hearts as much as our hearts. So all that was going on, so the speck of Kinect was going down. And then while that was happening, quite surprisingly, Microsoft hadn't yet decided who Connect was for, who the audience was for, which is a very surprising thing when you think about it. And it wasn't until very, very late on, they decided the audience... Not too surprising, really. I suppose the audience was for people who wanted to use Connect in a party environment. Yeah. And which kind of, by within the spec, by the time it got to that point, was so primitive. You had to do these sort of actions before you, you know, kind of even recognise. Right. So where, when you, if you think of Connect as a party device, where does, where the hell does does Milo fit in? <laughs> uh, it was challenging enough for the for the marketing people to think of how to market it, and you know, the rest is kind of history. Uh, how are we doing for time? I feel
1: like we've been. Doing you're, I wise. believe me, I have budgeted. So I, I know <laughs> uh, you're quite the conversationalist, and I appreciate it because these 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 are great oh, yeah. stories, and yeah. in fact. Because uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, you haven't given a lot of interviews uh, in no. the last couple of years. And in fact, I'm not sure if you've commented on this publicly at all. I, I've got to ask you, uh, how how were you personally affected? How did you feel uh, when when you got the news of uh, Fable Legends uh, being shut down and, and then Lionhead Ninehead. itself?
0: Well, I mean, I've got to, you know, tell you that It was a very strange day when that happened. Normally I just sit at my desk and, you know, work away and and very rarely even get up. And for some reason I walked over, that day I walked over to the window, and was looking out the window, and now my office is is kind of here, and Lionhead I can still see is about 50 yards, I'm (laughs) next door. And I looked down and I could see all these people coming out, and I could just sense that something bad had happened. And you know, Microsoft closed the, the studio. It, it absolutely broke my heart. I felt incredibly guilty. Why? Uh, well, because there. I left, and you know, I left, and uh, you know, I, I just you know, I I, I couldn't help for maybe I left them in a a bit of a hole. You know, you feel was, like you
1: could have you could have yeah, done
0: I, I, would have, yeah I, I would have. I don't know. I would have gone over there and shouted at people until. I, <laughs> We agreed not to close it down, and so I'd, I felt really bad about uh, about the situation and it, it, it was like seeing a relative die. it really was no. it was it was utterly heartbreaking to see something which you kind of founded and the and, and the culture that was created there and the games that were created there and the, the memories that were created there is just heartbreaking but, to say. I mean, let's be honest about it. I don't really know the reasons that Microsoft closed them down, but I know and I have an enormous amount of respect and confidence in people like Phil Spencer. And so they didn't do it out of spite or anything. They probably did it for very good reasons, and I just don't know what those reasons are. And it's easy for me to stand back and say, Oh well, they closed it. They're evil bastards. But actually, there's there must have been a good reason. It's still incredibly heartbreaking. And you know, I I if I could whiz back in a time machine and 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 find a way to make it so that it wouldn't close, the way I would probably do that is say, right, you guys just work on Fable Four rather than Fable Legends. Um, then I, I would do that. You, so
1: you yeah. think you think. 4 would have been the way, if you'd still been there, you would have pushed to continue the series proper rather than than take the left turn into the sort of game as service? You know, the thing is, the
0: the simple fact of the matter is that at the end of the day, whether you're an internal first-party studio or an external third-party studio, you've got to look at the bottom line. Yeah. You know, how much does it cost to develop something versus how much it's going to make? Now, it's... It's fine, you know, when you look at f- the words free-to-play, and when Zynga were first coming out with free-to-play games, um, they were making a ton of money. Oh, yeah. A ridiculous, a shameful amount of money. Um, and, and indeed, Supercell and games like Clash of Clans still are making a lot of money today. And it's very easy to put those sort of forecasts in your balance sheet and then to justify, look, we can afford this much development because our bottom line is going to be this. But as free-to-play has evolved, we've realized that it actually can only be applied to a certain type of game. Right. And that certain type of game certainly isn't Fable. You know, Fable, for me, is an open-world game. It's a game which is about people's freedom, where free-to-play is about constricting people and keeping them along a path So you can be predictive about their spend. I know this because I've been developing these games myself because I find them fascinating. And that's not what Fable is. And so I feel that if you just think of it as being purely empirically a a financial decision, free-to-play is going to make us this much, which is far, far less than what it's going to cost for us to, to develop the game. And that seems to be the probable... Outcome of a decision now, that actually happened.
1: You're of course no longer at Microsoft. You've no. got 22 cans. Yeah. But if if Microsoft picked up the phone, if Phil Spencer called you and said, mm-hmm. "Peter, we would love to. We mm-hmm. want to. We want to reboot Fable." Oh well. Can you form a team? Can we, can we work together? Oh, on something? Is that. Has that ship sailed yeah. or, or is no, there still I enough of. I've played fatal? on that fantasy
0: many, many, many times, Ryan. So, many, yes, you many, would, many, you would many, take
1: times. that phone call then.
0: And up until relatively recently, I, I would definitely take the call. Phil? And, 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 Phil? <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just define it. Yeah. If that was going to happen, there's, there's three things that would have to happen. Firstly, I would have to be able to say that it was going to be a great game. Not just another fable, a great game. Yeah. That first line, that ridiculous first line that I said, the greatest role-playing game of all time, <laughs> that would be the reason to do fable Four. The second is a t- the, the team. I'd have to, it, it would, we'd have to bring together a team of people and that team of people, there'll be some team people that worked on Fable for a long time, there'll be some that would never touch Fable before. But a great, fascinating, wonderful team. That would be the second one. And the third one is that I could be what I am now in Fable. And that is, a, I am no longer a designer. I am I'm a coder. Hmm. That's what I think of myself as, as what I do every day, and... It, that, that is absolutely,
1: you know, how I define myself. So we need to, we need to get the, the Carter brothers involved again. Yeah,
0: we'll get the Carter brothers involved. We need to get the Carter. Here's, here's, your, here's your list. Please. Simon and Th- Dean Phil's Carter. Phil's listening. He better Simon be. and Dean Carter. Alex Evans from Media Molecule. Mark Healy from Media Molecule. Um, Mark Healy did all the, in Fable 1, a lot of the visual direction Paul McLaughlin, um, another artist. Probably, I probably go for Eric Bailey on the animation side, or people like Adam Siblick. and then round those p- that core people build uh, build a team. All right,
1: we uh, have the- we have the list of <laughs> demands now, but it's too. But late. There, but it's it, too late. It's Ryan. too late. It's
0: too late. It's never too late. No, it it is because now I am doing. The most incredible thing.
1: I've been reborn. Which we're going to talk about yeah. right now, in yeah. fact. Um, you went from heading a game studio. Yeah. It was hundreds of people at a, yeah. a, a, with nine-figure budget projects. Yeah. Uh, and at one, you know, at one point were also the head of Microsoft Game Studios yeah. in Europe as yeah. well. Yeah. And when you left all that behind, you're now back to, as you say, being a coder. You're yeah. making smaller games, yeah. smaller teams. That, I, I suspect that that change of pace had to be completely intentional. Did you really just want to get back to your roots?
0: Well, it, like any decision you make in big decision you make in life, there's, there's very, very few times it's, there's just one thing. Sure. There's lots of weights on us. Hmm. I always think of these decisions like weights on the scale. Some of them times they're big weights. A big weight for me leaving Microsoft was this, is that at that time, I was in a situation where I was spending a week, a month over in Seattle, which, and it rains slightly more in Seattle than it does in a month. <laughs> so, um, and that's a long time to spend away from your family. Yeah i am i do you had I, a young
1: son at the time. I
0: had a young son at the time and it, you know, well my wife was fantastic and amazing, the understanding it's a long time. So that was a big weight for me on that. What was also a big weight is that you know the in Lionhead it was continuing to be big and being part of Studio Europe and being the creative director in the Studio which was a fascinating job, meant I was further and further away from being what I thought of myself as being a, a, a designer. That was another big weight. Yeah. Another big weight was Steve Jobs. Explain, please. He, for me, you know, when I saw Pong in that shop when I was seventeen years old, when I saw the iPhone presented by Steve Jobs, it was kind of another moment. Mm. And that's when I realized something, Ryan, which has been spinning in my brain now for 4 years. I've had an incredible life. I've I've been able to work on crazy ideas and work with amazing people. And what I can't be is a coward. I've got to be brave. And being brave means doing the thing that doesn't make sense. Hmm. And when I saw that phone, when I saw Steve Jobs present that phone, this one thought went in my mind. Everyone can be a gamer. Yeah. Everyone can have a game machine in their hand. Every single person on this planet can be a gamer. That was a life-changing moment.
1: I can understand that.
0: And I would love, I would have loved for the Microsoft Windows phone to be the iPhone, but it just wasn't. And I thought to myself, I have to go, I have to leave, I have to do the brave thing, the brave, crazy thing, because I owe it, in a way, to myself and to the industry to, yeah. to, to try and make games that this new audience... You know, what, what that iPhone did is created... Gamers. It created a whole new audience of gamers. And those gamers thought up until that point that games were about chopping people's heads up and murdering people. And now this device has made those people into gamers, but the type of games they're playing are just not very good. They're repetitive, they steal, no, I know they steal people's money, they're, they're very repetitive and they lack innovation. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, if I leave, I can focus more on my family, I can do the brave thing, and the brave and crazy thing, and I can start a new company up. The first thing I thought was, I've got to realize I know nothing about this world. I know nothing about free-to-play. I know nothing about Kickstarter.
1: Just like how when you started in in computer felt Yeah, absolutely. It
0: felt exactly the same. And I felt to myself, the first thing I did was I said... I need to fail first, and that's why I did this crazy thing called um, curiosity. You're,
1: you're segueing beautifully yeah. here because uh, you know you had everybody wondering. It, it's yeah. a you're just clicking your way through, and at some yeah. point it's chipping away, chip away. Somebody's going to unlock what's in the center. Yeah. yeah. Had you decided what was going to be in the center up front? or yes, uh, yes, absolutely, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that wasn't the purpose of the exercise. That was. What I said to myself well, <clears throat> and this is a very long conversation, Ryan, and most people watching will probably think it's a completely insanity, bullshit and rubbish. But what fascinated me was and I actually got people under MRI scans to prove this what was happening to people's brains when they played these games was different to what happened to gamers' brains Hmm. when they played them. Gamers, what we want a lot of the time is excitement. Yeah. We want to be challenged. We want the sense of accomplishment that games like Fable and and GTA and all of that give us. But those games aren't successful on mobile. Right. Now, here's an interesting thought. You probably saw in the news that... um, that uh, Minecraft sold 122 million. 122 million people have played Minecraft. That's Still incredible. Going. Isn't yeah. it? Still going. Yeah. Still going. How many people do you think have played Pokemon Go? It's been out for almost a year.
1: Uh, I believe, in fact, uh, just today, I, want, I believe it's 60 million.
0: No, it's 640 million people. I mean, Jesus. That's a lot. That's, that's the entire population of the Americas. Yeah. I mean, crikey, that's amazing. What, how, what are those people doing? Why are they playing? And what I've found is a lot of people, and I found this with Curiosity, I found it with Goddess, and I found it with The Trail. A lot of people play mobile games, they don't think of themselves to, to escape. Yeah. They don't want to be challenged, they want to escape. They may want to escape the noise of a crying baby that's, that, that, that's, that's upstairs, they may want to escape the, at lunchtime the tedious work that they're, they're doing, they may want to escape the commute when they go to work. They don't have the time to hold the facts in their mind about where they are on quests and where, they, where this person is and where that person is. They just want to enter a world where they their brain can go into an alpha state. And that's what the experiment of purity proved. Hmm. It proved absolutely. You could give people and I intentionally made the gameplay as simple as possible. I mean for Christ's sake it was just tapping (laughs) at the screen. But there were some people, thousands of people, thousands of people that Absolutely loved, it. and we had a, we had a we had people when we closed Curiosity down. We had people come to our office and beg that we give them a cube. They couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> people couldn't get to sleep. They were using Curiosity to get to sleep. Mm. So that experiment was a was as a designer. I had to work out a completely different way of designing again. Totally different way of designing.
1: So, so uh, at the center was a video. Yeah, of you. Yeah, saying congratulations. Yeah. In this case, Brian Henderson. Yeah, you will be the god of course, in yeah. goddess. Yeah. Your next game. Yeah. So, is that still happening?
0: Absolutely. Uh, development is still continuing unbelievably on Goddess. In fact, there's someone working on it at this you know very moment of time. Not so much on the steam goddess but on the mobile goddess and unfortunately goddess wasn't it cost quite a lot to develop and it's still not in profit as much and i'd love to pay brian some money out i'd love it it would be um, it would be a, a wonderful thing for me but we need unless i'm doing it and there has been suggestions to pay him some money just for the pr side but until the the game makes money, he and it, 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 we know we've we've got a bottom line which we're hoping one day it will make money, and it's still being played. Uh, you know, yesterday I think thirty five thousand people played Goddess.
1: And I think was wasn't the other part of it uh, aside from the financial? Yeah. Didn't he actually get to help influence gameplay decisions in the world too? Was yes, that part
0: of we, it? He he came down quite a few times yeah. and. Um, uh, he he was he was he was quite he wants to be in music and I think he wanted to we offered him to do the music and I think I might offer ask him if he wants to do it again hmm. and um, yeah that would that, I would love to involve him. it would be great to involve him in that um, but the game needs to make money really
1: and it's still it's it's in early access is that correct or, or it's still it's, uh... it's still
0: in Steam early access yeah okay and uh, it's still. It's still features are still being developed m- more slowly on on mobile. Yeah.
1: But it is. Uh, I mean, if if it's it's really going back to the your populist roots, really. That's sort of the heart of the game.
0: <sighs> yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's another very long conversation to be had about
1: Kickstarter. We'll, maybe we'll save that one. So it's, yeah. I think i mean, I've kept it, it for a just hours. to sum
0: it up. I thought Kickstarter was the utopian world, which every designer would absolutely adore. It yeah. turned out to be a complete nightmare. For me, purely for me, I think Kickstarter is one of the most fantastic vehicles, but here's the golden rules. Don't Kickstarter an idea. Kickstarter a product. Right. Kickstarter something that people can tangibly touch and play and feel. Mm. Don't Kickstarter... We're going to make a you know, remake of the God game genre. Because if you do, this is what happens. You end up with 27,511 people all trying to design the game together. <laughs> and it's hard enough to get two people to design the game, <laughs> let alone 27,000 people. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> and the, goal, the rule is it's very hard to please all the people all the time Especially when Kickstarter never gives you enough money. You never have enough money. Sure. Yeah. It, 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 you know, by the time you've do, fulfilled all your pledges, by the time you've, you've paid for development, I mean, you, you know, it doesn't even pay for you know a fraction of the overall cost of the, uh, of, the, of the game. So I would use Kickstarter again. I would say use Kickstarter again. I love the crowdsourced nature of it. But wait until the end. Not... Don't do it on an idea. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and then there was the trail <clears throat> yeah. for mobile as well, yeah. which is yeah. uh, which is out. It's uh, that's that seems. Just hearing you talk about it before we came on the air, you just it's I could I could sense a a a calmness and a satisfaction about the trail.
0: Well, you know, the trail <clears throat> within well, a matter of days, really. The trail was played more times by more people than. All of Lionhead's games put together, including <laughs>
1: Fable. Mm-hmm. There's that six hundred something million audience. Yeah, well,
0: about. it's not quite Pokemon Go, sadly, <laughs> but uh, but um, it's a it's a fascinating thing, Ryan. It's, it, it's and it's not. It's actually, I think my 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 kind of creative ex- kind of journey into that world is is changing a little bit now with a new project I'm working on, um, but what you're doing is creating a world for people to love for, Um, there's some people that have played the trail every single day since its launch on the 3rd of November There's, (laughs) there's, there's this entire and it really is incredible tens of thousands of people a day are exploring and navigating and communicating and working together in this entire continent we've created, it's amazing it's amazing, and Every three weeks we release new features for those people to love and sometimes those features are incredible features. We've we've given them a dog. Like the dog in I approve. (laughs) In 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 Fable, in you can train the dog and you can tell the dog off and you can you can walk along the trail and and one person's dog can sniff the butt of another person's dog. I mean, how cool is that? Well, i maybe not <laughs> sniffing butts, but you know, it's it's an entire universe which people love and enjoy together, and are taking places which are going to be fascinating.
1: So it sounds to me that you have <clears throat> that there's, there. There is, really isn't any part of you that that wants to go back to AAA big budget game design. You you sound happier. During, uh, it's not, what you're
0: uh, you know, I, I, as I said, y- 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 you know. In a way, being comfortable is the biggest sin. Mm. You, you know, if, if if we are going to be creative in this industry, and I I, I I love and adore this industry to a point which is not very healthy, um, and then then we we have to investigate these new areas, whether it's VR, whether it's mobile gaming, and whether it's you know, showing content to an audience that's never seen that content before. The thing I loved about the trail is these people that enjoy the trail have never explored a world before. They've, they've never done the things that we just take for granted. They've never picked something up. They've never collected these things. And being able to give them that stuff and prove to them that games are more than just another... Special clan clone or a match-three game, they, can, they are truly amazing and they allow people to create their own worlds, essentially, in their, in their own mind, and I, you know, I find that just unbelievably enriching. Saying all that, my next game that I'm working on, the first game that I've coded, you know, I, I'm getting the ideas in the game by coding those games, it's called Legacy. I'm not going to get myself into any trouble by hyping it up <laughs> at all, isn't necessarily a free-to-play mobile game. Okay.
1: Well, that that actually uh, segues perfectly into my final question for you, yeah. Peter, which uh, you're calling it Legacy. Yeah. And you've had a, a very long and storied career. Yeah. Is that, is that the end for you? Is Legacy the end, or do you want to keep... Uh, do you want to keep making games until, the legacy,
0: until you it, leave this earth? Yeah, it, The legacy, the name, wasn't, it was a name that was suggested by somebody else. It originally had a different name. <laughs> and um, so don't read anything into it about me. Fair enough. I feel reborn. I, I, I am now working as hard... On Legacy, as I've worked on Black and White, as I worked on Populous, as I worked on anything. Fortunately, I've got electronic cigarettes, so I don't have to fill up my ashtray (laughs) with cigarette butts anymore, but I'm eating pizza and I'm drinking Mountain Dew. So, you know, I feel reborn. I know all that fascination and energy that I had around, you know, Black and White and Fable and Dungeon Keeper and Populous, I feel. I feel that, and it's, that's an incredible sensation to feel at 57 years old. That's great. And um, I can't wait to get back to my computer and work on the feature that I was working on this, this morning at 4 o'clock in my hotel room. And that's just what a wonderful feeling to do that. I'm not sure what this game's going to end up being, but I can promise you this, and you've never seen anything like it.
1: There you go. <laughs> Peter Molyneux, thank you so thank much. You, thank it you. It was an absolute much. pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Peter Molyneux, legendary or renowned game designer yeah. Yeah. Uh, whose career, it seems, is just getting started. Yeah. Uh, Peter Molyneux, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, For more from the best, brightest, most fascinating minds in the games industry, be sure to look for new segments every week of IGN Unfiltered and new episodes every month.
0: We are the hosts
1: of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are Sans' knowledge. I'm Yen, a reader, writer, liver, and breather of comic books. And I'm Nat, and I know absolutely nothing about comics. Which makes both of us authorities in our respective fields. Exactly. Hey, wait! On Comic Sans, I make Nat read some of my favourite comics Including Sandman, Saga and Laura Olympus And Yen tells me what makes that comic special Then I hear what Nat thinks And I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism While I actively try to give him one Listen to Comic Sans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Or wherever you get your podcasts You can already binge our first season And we just released a special bonus episode On Across the Spider-Verse Hey Nat, before we go, I'll give you 50 bucks If you can tell me what Comic-Con is Is it related to Chili Con-Carn? Do you mean chili con carne? Maybe we should be chili sands.